Well, it's great to be with you. Uh, if you have your Bible, we're going to be in Luke chapter 6. Uh, while you uh, find the passage, let's pray and ask God to come and speak to us. Heavenly Father, thank you that um, you don't leave us just to get on with life by ourselves. Thank you you communicate in so many different ways. Uh, thank you for your word. Thank you for giving us the Bible. And I want to ask you is that as we endeavor to get to grips with this passage today, pray you would give us understanding. Uh, pray you'd open our minds to hear the truth of it, to receive the truth of it. Uh, help us to see how it applies to us. Would you give us faith uh, to live uh, in accordance with what you say? Would you send your spirit to uh, open our ears, to open our eyes, to open up our hearts to receive you. Uh, would you change us, please? Amen. Amen. Well, today we're going to be looking at Jesus' definition of happiness or blessedness. And just to warn you right up front, it's likely to mess ever so slightly with the way that you think. I mean, a more culturally acceptable version of today's passage would perhaps go something like this. Blessed are the beautiful for they will be admired. Blessed are the wealthy, for they have it all. Blessed are the impure pleasure seekers, for they'll have a great time. Blessed are the popular, for they will be loved. Blessed are the famous, for they will be followed. Blessed are the assertive, for they'll get what they want. Blessed are the self-sufficient, for they will get all the glory. But here's the thing about Jesus. Jesus doesn't go along with conventional wisdom, and he doesn't just challenge it, he replaces it altogether. He takes everything that we are taught to believe, everything that we perhaps intuitively believe, and he totally dismantles it. He turns it completely and utterly on its head. Let me show you what I mean. Luke chapter 6, going to pick it up in verse 20. Looking at his disciples, Jesus said, "'Blessed are you who are poor.'" for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy because great is your reward in heaven, for that is how their ancestors treated the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your comfort. Woe to you who are well fed now, for you will go hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when everyone speaks well of you, for that is how their ancestors treated the false prophets. Now, let's face it, on first reading, this sounds crazy, doesn't it? I mean, since when did poverty, hunger, sorrow, and rejection get equated with blessing? Since when did those four things lead to happiness? And then on the flip side, when did wealth, a full stomach, joy, being praised by others, being popular, when did that become what we should try and avoid in life? 
I mean, in every great success story, the, the, the key component in pretty much every life that's celebrated in our society is that they move from here, poverty, rejection, hunger, despair, and they move to wealth and joy and public acclaim. But Jesus shows up and he goes, no, 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 no. It moves the other way. But no one has ever made a success story built on he was born a billionaire and died decrepit and alone. I mean, that's not the kind of film we like to go and watch. That's not the kind of book we like to read. That's not how it works. It moves from poverty, rejection, hunger, sorrow, this way to joy and wealth and popularity. But Jesus is going, no, you've you've got it all wrong. needs to head the other way. Let me point this out and then we'll get into the detail of these verses. We've noted throughout this series in Luke's Gospel how the people of Jesus' day were regularly struck by the fact that Jesus teaches as one with authority. Well, what that means is he's not merely making suggestions or trying to articulate how he hopes things might be. He's not simply praying. No, he's letting you in on how things actually are. You understand the difference there? When Jesus says, God blesses those and those and those and those, but there's sorrow and there's woe for those and those and those and those, he's not hoping, he's not wishing, he's not praying. He's not, oh Father, I hope, I wish, I'm praying that the poor would somehow be blessed. That's not what's occurring here. He's not hoping, he's not wishing, he's not praying. He's stating how things are. Understand the difference? The poor, the hungry, the sorrowful, the rejected are blessed. And nothing but woe and sorrow awaits the rich, the prosperous, those with joy and those who are praised by the crowds. He's not merely suggesting. He's trying to tap you into how it really is. He's trying to get you outside of how you think the universe works and get you into how it does. And so, the question that we've really got to get to the bottom of today is, if Jesus is saying with authority, this is who is blessed and this is who isn't, what we want to do is kind of figure out where we are in that, correct? Let's work our way through these verses, and let's try and allow Jesus' words to read us, to cast some light on where we stand right now. Now, right out of the gate, Jesus here drops something of a bombshell. Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Then look down at verse 24, because here's his contrast, but woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your comfort. Now, we know from Scripture, from the Bible, that God doesn't merely hand out salvation based on our economic status. He doesn't decide who gets saved, who gets included in his kingdom based on material wealth. So if you are broke today, you you, you literally have no money whatsoever, 
You shouldn't right now be going, yes, I'm in, the kingdom is mine. And if you drove here in a £100,000 car, you shouldn't be going, no, I'm disqualified, I'm out. There's something else going on here, because I don't think this is simply talking about how much we make or don't make, or what we have or don't have. Here's one of the first rules when we try and interpret the Bible. We need need to look at the Bible as a whole, and we need to allow the, the, the rest of the Bible to shed light on what we just read right here. Now, in Matthew's Gospel, Matthew chapter 5, we get either this exact same message from Jesus from a different vantage point, or it's the same message done in different places. We don't really know, but helpfully, the, the one in Matthew, Matthew's version, is a little bit more detailed, and it lets us into what might be going on at a deeper level here in Luke. Because in Luke, Jesus says, blessed are the poor. In Matthew 5, he says, blessed are the poor in spirit. It's like we've suddenly moved past mere external economics. Now we're talking much deeper. We're talking about the state of our soul, the state of our heart. And so, blessed is the person, happy is the person, transformed is the person who understands that, spiritually speaking, they're bankrupt, that they have nothing that they can give God to earn his blessing, to get into his good books, to gain right standing with him. Blessed to the person who understands that no matter how many religious activities they do, no matter how good a life they lead, God still owes them nothing. And although I think a lot of us know that in our minds, I've been around long enough to realize that most of us still don't really grasp it in our hearts. Most of us still intuitively feel that God owes us favor because we've been good. But Jesus is saying here, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who understand that there is nothing in them that they can give to God, that will somehow make God go, oh, I'll take that, and now I'll give you blessing. Oh, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the ones that go, have a hard I try. (laughs) I know I can't fix myself. Now, this starts to make sense, right? Because remember what Jesus said he came to do. He said, I came to preach good news to the who? To the poor. But as you read the Gospels, you see, yeah, he reaches out to the materially poor, but he doesn't exclusively reach out to them. He reaches out to more than just poor people. He, he came to proclaim good news to those who were poor in spirit, those who felt like they couldn't do it in their own strength, that they weren't good enough, couldn't get close enough to God. I think this starts to make even more sense when you look at who gets enraged by Jesus' message. I mean, as we've been working our way through 
these first six chapters of Luke, we've covered how the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, have responded to Jesus coming and preaching grace and preaching mercy and preaching love and preaching reconciliation and forgiveness. What's been their response? They're furious. They're livid. They're full of wrath. And so the religious people, those who believed that they were good people and they did have right standing with God because they didn't do this and they went here and they did that. So God has to love them. Those people found Jesus' message unbelievably offensive because Jesus says, blessed are you who are poor in spirit. Now watch this, for yours is the kingdom of God. The present power of the king of the universe is available, is on hand for the poor in spirit. But woe to you who thinks that by your discipline and by your good deeds you can somehow earn your salvation. Woe to you. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Theirs is the power of God to transform their lives. It's pretty good news. Let's keep going. So we've got some work to do on this next one. This one may well sting a little, but for our good. Verse 21. Jesus says, Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied Look down to verse 25, but woe to you who are well fed now, for you will go hungry. Now again, Jesus probably isn't just talking about food here. So again, let's flip back over to what Matthew says. Again, he's going to help us out a little. He says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness Let's just step back for a moment. Try and see how this connects. Try and view this as a progression. Jesus starts by saying, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the ones who just can't figure it all out. They, they have issues that haunt them, but they know they can't fix themselves. They're, they've been trying, but they know they can't get there. Blessed are the poor in spirit. And then he moves on to say, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are those who are hungry to be right before God, who are hungry for forgiveness, who are hungry for intimacy with God, who are hungry for wholeness. Blessed are those who are hungry for those things, because if you're hungry for more of God, inevitably you are going to pursue Him. Now here's why I think this is incredibly important for us. Everybody loves a good conversion story. I, I love it when we baptise people, we get those videos of people just sharing how they came to know Jesus, but nobody likes to talk about the next six years, ten years, twelve years, two decades. No one tends to tell that story. It's more like, then he was converted, the end. No, the beginning, because here's what happens. We get saved, we get to know Jesus, but we still have all of these monumental issues, but it can seem like no one else in the room does. 
And so what happens is we feel the pressure to give the impression that things are a whole lot better than they really are, just so we fit in with all the other perfect people. The problem is compounded in an information age where we can learn truths, be bombarded with truths, quicker than we can actually go away and apply them all to our lives. And so we never want to come clean about what's actually going on inside because we'd rather be a hypocrite than be seen as one. Listen, this church is an okay place to not be okay. If you're here today and you are feeling like you're in a bit of a mess, welcome to the family. I mean, you've got a a whole lot of stuff going on in your life. Us too. I mean, come on in. You, You are one of the crowds here. But here's the thing I need you to hear me say out of this text. While it's okay to not be okay, it's not okay to stay there. Like, if the Holy Spirit has revealed to you that you've got some issues going on in your life, you can't just sit on that. You can't just remain for years in that same place. No, you have to put in the effort to work them out. Get on a Freedom in Christ course. Sign up for a marriage course. Join an encounter life group or find a godly man or woman in the church. Share where you are, no matter how dark it is, however, however bad it might make you feel you look, no matter what it is, you've got to take some steps. I think that's what this means. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, who are hungry to be right before God. Why? Because they'll be satisfied. They will be filled. Now hear me out, because some of you are on the path and let's be honest, it's painfully slow. And it's tempting just to throw in the towel, to give up when a year later you're still, when's it going to go away? When are things going to be different? You need to keep putting your faith in God's transforming power, not just relying on your power, trusting in His power. And I promise you, you are further along than you think you are. I think a lot of us fall into the trap of looking for instant transformation. Like, if I get prayed for at the end of the meeting, then it will be changed in a moment. No, that can happen. But normally speaking, it is a process. And you've got to be hungry enough to keep walking towards it. Jesus is saying... Blessed is the one who is hungry enough to pursue God because they're going to find him. Just by way of an aside, I think some of us, maybe all of us, need to work hard at letting some silence into our day. Because for all the benefits of technology, it has enabled us to never quieten things down enough to actually listen to what's going on in our lives, to hear our hearts. It's like a lot of us don't even know that we're hungry because we fill ourselves in our day. We we, we hate silence because silence starts going, hey, this is just ever so slightly unsettling 
There's something not right going on down here. We can make that thing go away with Facebook and watching TV and catching up on the latest box set or playing Angry Birds or Temple Run or on the PlayStation for hours on end or with our smartphone always being connected to work 24-7. I think if we're going to be serious about this thing, we've got to slow down enough to go, okay, what's really going on in me? What's really going on down here? And for you to know that it is okay to not be okay. I mean, come on in. Join the crowd. Let the mask down. Be honest. And then, with God's help, take steps to change. But woe to you who are well-fed. Woe to you who think you have no need. Woe to you who think you have it all figured out. Woe to you who think you don't need a greater power than you. Let's keep going. Second half of verse 21. Jesus says, Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. And look down to verse 25. But woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. So again, just try and follow the progression here. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed blessed are those who recognize they're bankrupt before God. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, who sense their lack and look to God and depend on God. And then now, blessed are those who weep. Weep over what? Presumably over the fact that they're bankrupt and hungry before God. Surely this is repentance, that's what this is. But blessed are those who mourn over their sin, who are overwhelmed with grief at their condition, overwhelmed with grief at how they have offended God. Now, the, the Bible makes quite a big distinction between worldly sorrow and godly repentance. Worldly sorrow is... I realize I've made a mess of my life. I really wish I hadn't. That doesn't transform hearts and souls. That is just regret. Repentance. Godly repentance. I've I've offended God on high. I want to submit my life to Him. Leads to changed behavior. Leads to transformation. There's a verse in the book of Ecclesiastes that says... Only a fool laughs when he's on fire. I think that's a great cross-reference to this text. What it's talking about is people whose lives are unraveling, but they continue to put on a false smile and pretend to the world that everything is just fine. The whole world is on fire. They smile and pretend it's not. Woe to you. Blessed is the man who can scream out, I'm on fire! Help! One more. Blessed you when people hate you and when they exclude you. Ever been excluded? Ever been passed over for a job at your work? Ever been demoted? Ever seen on Facebook all your friends have gone out and you didn't know anything about it? It's quite painful, isn't it? 
blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man, because of Jesus. Now, that's going to be an important little line there. It's not talking about being hated and, be, uh, and being rejected for being obnoxious and irritating and horrible to the people around you. No, it, it's all about being rejected by others because of your faith in Jesus. Verse 23, rejoice in that day and leap for joy because great is your reward in heaven for that is how their ancestors treated the prophets. And look down to verse 26. But woe to you when everyone speaks well of you, for that is how their ancestors treated the false prophets. Now, this is massive. I mean, which of us doesn't want to be spoken well of by others? I'm a show of hands. Anyone here doesn't want to be popular? Anyone really want to be hated? excluded, rejected, insulted, that would be none of us. And so the temptation is to try and fit in with the people around us, to give the impression that everything's going great even when it isn't, to make out that we are self-sufficient, that we don't need help, that we have no need for God to, to, to live for this life and all the pleasure we can squeeze out of it with little or no thought to what happens after we die. To, to water down the message of the gospel, leave out the unpopular bits like the false prophets did in Old Testament times. I mean, if we follow this upside-down teaching of Jesus here, we will stand out. We will be different from the people around us. We'll be misunderstood, rejected, unpopular. Now, if that's where you find yourself right now, you are experiencing some form of opposition because of your faith. It's an incredibly hard place to be. But if this is where you find yourself today, there is just this tremendous undercurrent of comfort running through these verses. I don't want you to miss it. If you're poor in spirit, you, you recognize you're, you're bankrupt before God. If you're hungry, you, you sense your lack and you're, you're trying to cling on to God, depending on Him. If you're overwhelmed with grief at how you've offended God, if you're suffering opposition and injustice and rejection because of your faith in God, The promise that Jesus gives us here is that God sees. He understands how you feel. He he knows how hard it is. And He is enough for you. He has all that you need here in the present and the blessing that awaits you in the age to come will far outweigh your present struggles. Let me say that again. Let it hit you. Jesus has all you need, everything you need, right now, here in the present. And the blessing that awaits you in the age to come will far outweigh all of your present struggles. If you grasp that, it will lead to joy. 
In fact, that's the only command in this whole passage. It's the only thing Jesus tells us to do. Verse 23, rejoice in that day and leap for joy. Okay, that's all he tells us to do. Rejoice and leap for joy if you grasp the rest of it. Why? Because great is your reward in heaven. Jesus isn't dangling a carrot in front of you here. No, if you believe in him, if you believe this message, then there can be absolute certainty. You can be totally assured that heavenly vindication awaits you. Your security isn't rooted in your latest Facebook profile, or your performance, or your popularity, or your prominence, or your prosperity. No, it's firmly rooted in the truth that God the Father loves you, and He has sent His Son to die for you. And so it doesn't matter what everyone else says. It doesn't matter what everyone else thinks. If your heavenly Father is pleased with you, if He loves you, then you're secure. Your identity is rooted in Him, not in your performance, not in the votes or the acclaim of others. But woe to you when everyone speaks well of you, when everyone loves you. Because chances are, you're lying to everyone, even you. You're constantly having to present a false image just to gain their approval. And here's the really tough part about being that person. It makes it impossible to ever genuinely receive love. Because in your heart of hearts, you'll know that what they love isn't the real you. You live with the constant fear that if they really knew what you were like, if they saw under the mask, then they'd never love you, never accept you. And so you have to work harder and harder and harder to keep the pretense going. It can be an incredibly lonely place to be. You know, I'd rather be rejected by 99% of the world and have just 1% know me and still love me than be loved falsely by 99% and rejected by the 1%. How about you? How about you? Now, what makes this job very difficult at times is really all I can do is try my hardest to show you the truth. But having done that, I'm powerless to get you to do anything about it. That's your responsibility. And I wish I could take on that responsibility. I I wish I could force you to live in the good of it, but I can't. End of the day, it's your choice. So here's the question. Where are you? Not where's your family, not where's the person sitting next to you right now, not where's the church. Where are you? Where are you? Aware of your need for God? 
hungry for him, growing in joy in him, blessed, self-sufficient, self-reliant, self-sustaining, mask-wearing, living a lie, cursed. Where do you land? Where are you? I'm telling you, this has massive implications for your life right now and for your eternity. And so, let's just take a few moments to reflect on this. If you're happy to, just bow your heads, close your eyes. Just reflect on where you stand in all of this and where you'd like to be. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Blessed are those who weep, for one day they'll laugh, they'll be set free from what haunts them. Blessed are those who know Jesus in such a way that it has changed them so that they're excluded and rejected and at times hated, not because of their arrogance, but simply because of Jesus. But woe to those who are rich, those who are just consumed with this life and its possessions, for they have already received their comfort. Why do those who are well fed now have filled their lives with things other than God? For they'll go hungry, full and yet starving. What an empty place to be. Why do those who laugh now, who laugh while they're on fire, pretending everything's perfect while their soul decays, for they will mourn and weep? Why do those who are loved by all, who live for the praise of others, who worry about what everyone else thinks, for it's all false? Where are you? The good news in all of this is the grace of Christ covers where we failed here. Because if we're honest, some of us would have to say, hey, hey listen, I'm not hungry, but I want to be. Okay, then that's where we begin. Just now, keep your eyes closed. I want to give you an opportunity to pray your response back to Jesus. You, you've heard his words. Now, just quietly in your mind, why don't you tell him what you think? Maybe you've never really done that before. Just in your own words. Maybe maybe you need to repent. You need to 
turn from the way you've been living, the way you've been thinking, the way you've been acting. You need to turn to <coughs> Jesus and put your trust in him. Maybe you need to more actively pursue to hunger, to thirst for righteousness, to live right before God. I tell him. Maybe you know you, you need to get some help. Why don't you say to God, God, I, I'm going to do that. Maybe you just need to bring a bit more silence into your life. Say, God, please help me just to, to pull away from it all sometimes, to hear you. Wherever you're at, whatever's challenged you or struck you, just quietly in your mind, you pray your response to Jesus.